This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, the lesser of two evils, creating moral dilemmas in speculative fiction. This episode title gave us a lot of humour because we kept just saying, right, well, should we do the lesser of two evils then? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's like always, yes, but the episode as well. Yes. (laughs) Now, (laughs) do you ever think our sense of humour is occasionally a bit childish? Um, no. No. I think it's it's entirely appropriate for two writers, really. (laughs) So... No, I don't think so at all. What do you think, dear listener? <laughs> we just get a ton of tweets saying yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely too childish. Uh, we need you to really bring it each bring it. time you come. So. <laughs> um, okay, so this episode, I believe, has actually been brewing in the cauldron of Jules's mind. Um <laughs> for some time is there any other way for me to describe it Jules? No that was perfect that was absolutely perfect Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um, I suppose like a lot of things that sort of come out of that that fetid brew um, (laughs) (laughs) fetid brew Jesus (laughs) really it's this big brownish grey sludge that sort of swirled together and it really is just waiting for words to define its reality so the words that sort of came out were edginess versus um genuine moral quandaries mm. and i think that's the thing because i've seen a lot of stuff in speculative fiction over the years that i've read and thought i'm not sure what you're trying to say there because what you're doing to me that just seems to be a way to give the reader some shock factor and it's kind of cheap a lot of the time Mm. and then I'll see other ones where I'm like you know even years later I'm kind of uncomfortable sitting thinking about the decisions that this main characters had to make Mm. and I and and that's I think is what it comes down to there's there is a difference between a genuine moral dilemma in a piece of speculative fiction and an attempt just to be edgy yeah so um yeah I thought it'd be interesting to explore that in an episode yeah, absolutely. Um, now, we do know that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, basically, we, uh, it's no surprise to anybody that I personally like to write in the grey, as they as they say. Um, I'm not really much for black and white morality in mm. the stuff I write, even though I think, reading my books, you can see which way I jump on certain issues. Yeah. Um, and those issues tend to be quite clear-cut, and I suppose, in my mind at least... I think those are issues where there really shouldn't be a lot of a moral dilemma because they're pretty clear cut as to what's right and what's wrong. Mm. Um, but the rest of it, it can be very grey. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk about specific examples later. And I think Madeline does the same thing as well. Yeah, um, I think I do do that. And obviously it, it depends particularly on what I'm writing, <laughs> um, where it's certainly a lot darker in in some respects than in others um but yeah i i think we we're both fond of it um to different to varying degrees um so but i i I guess we should probably really address you know um what do we actually mean by 
moral dilemma. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Um, it kind of gets used to mean any type of hard or painful choice, and it's just not true. It's a little bit more mm. nuanced and clear-cut than that. So yeah, let's say for the sake of argument that your main character needs to choose between two options. Now, obviously, it can be more than two options, and in real life, it's often... You might have, you might have half a dozen options, and they're mm. all equally equally difficult. But certainly in writing, it's best to just keep it for two to start with. Um, yeah. Just because, as we will look at the nature of a moral dilemma in more detail, mm. um, it complicates the issue every time you add an additional choice. So keep it clear cut for this. Yeah. Um, uh, let's assume you want to get a point across. Basically, a moral dilemma is when each of those two options have roughly equal amounts of fallout. Yes. Um, <laughs> now, if a situation arises where the main character has to choose and one choice is clearly right, but it hurts, then that's not really a moral dilemma. That's just a painful choice. And we do like those two for driving conflict, let's not lie. We do. And of course, I mean, to be honest, um, I should point out that obviously a moral dilemma when you have to choose one, that can also hurt. Um, but it's not, the pain isn't the thing that makes it a moral dilemma, ultimately. No. Um, similarly, if a situation arises causing the main character to choose and the only way to win is to do something unconscionable and against their character, then again more often than not that's not really a moral dilemma that's usually a contrived way of making the main character do something awful for shock value yeah so a moral dilemma basically has a cost no matter which way you choose hmm. um i suppose at this point we could say why exactly would you include a moral dilemma other than obviously you like to make your reader suffer yeah so um, while hard choices are not the only way to insert turning points in a character arc, um, they can be a great way of increasing tension. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a, a great time for a moral dilemma to turn up is when things are actually going right for the character. Yes. <laughs> um, usually we get turning points, for example, um, and, and we've talked about story structure previously, uh, but a moral dilemma might very well turn up right at the right smack bang in the middle of the story where um, sometimes it can be with regards to the kind of the inciting incident. So right at the beginning, the middle or towards the end where they kind of actually are at their, their moment of most growth and things like that. Um, and depending where it appears in the story, the moral dilemma tends to be a little bit different, but it, they are obviously points where the character has to kind of make a make a choice and in and in that way their character is affected um, in addition they can also enhance drama so for example if a main character is forced to choose between two loved ones or a loved one and themselves. yeah definitely so basically they're a great way of introducing some more tension mm -hmm. um, enhanced drama um, now a main character will make moral decisions all the way through a book or series, and most of those decisions will be clear-cut. Yeah. Um, to be honest, if you've got a moral d dilemma happening in every other chapter, then you're going to lose your reader's interest, because they should be weighty things that happen like, maybe once or twice in a book, maximum. Yes. Um, anyway, 
so yeah they, they'll be clear-cut and that's whether the hero well the main character is a hero or an anti-hero i mean you know anti-heroes can have moral dilemmas too because everybody's got their line yeah and yeah that could be an interesting thing to explore with an anti-hero definitely Yes. Uh, but a moral dilemma raises the stakes by challenging the main character's understanding of their own morality. Yes. It forces us to acknowledge that not all morality is easy, um, that charting a moral path can be hard, and that often there are no right decisions, just the best decisions you can make at the time with the information which is available to you. Um, while moral dilemmas are just one of the tools you can use to create conflict in your book, they are set apart by their moral commentary. And I think this is where we need to be careful, because mm. when you include one, you are sending a message, basically. Yes. Which means that you need to set them up carefully and really think about what you're saying. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we've had an entire episode of, are you saying what you think you're saying in terms of theme? Well. Are you saying what you think you're saying with this moral dilemma you're inserting? Maybe it's great for tension, etc. But yeah. maybe be careful how you present it. Exactly, and that's probably one of the big issues as well. In that, if you just if you're just using moral dilemma to create for the shock value, um, then you might get into sort of swampy waters, as it were. Um, so you do need to be conscious of it, and you do need to ideally use it responsibly. Yes. So, um, how can we actually create a hard choice in writing? Okay, well, first of all, I would say, if if this is a sort of a caveat before we get into it, but Mm -hmm. if you 100% stand behind a specific cause, using it as part of a moral dilemma is a really bad fit. Um, Because by its nature, a moral dilemma is never 100% correct in any direction. Mm. And if you're not careful, you can cheapen or tear down your own pet cause by trying to wedge it in. So, for example, um, and this is a contentious example, I'm afraid, but obviously Roe versus Wade got overturned recently in America. Yes. Um, Now, whatever your standpoint on that is, and I've I've heard people, obviously I have a very particular standpoint on that. Yeah. Um, And there are people on the opposite side who, well, I don't agree with them, for their own their own morality puts them in that position now if we were trying to make a moral dilemma out of that that would mm-hmm. be terrible because you're actually cheapening this this really in you know there's there should be from my perspective at least there is a hundred percent behind a specific direction there mm. um, i'm a hundred percent behind you know women having rights to their own bodies having more rights than an actual corpse for example yes. um that's personally how I feel about it and you could argue the same thing the other way around you know if you 100% were against it then again it's a bad idea to use that as a moral dilemma because what you're doing is you're you're introducing ambiguity so yeah don't use your own pet causes for things like this yes now similarly um, on the other side of it if someone kind of was in the middle, and I'm not going to use the same example as Jules, but let's say it was another kind of debate, someone was in the middle of of that debate, um, and actually wanted to push against the the idea that that beliefs can only be 100% one way or the other, and actually say, we've got to accept that this is nuanced, that might be a very good thing to use as a subject for a moral dilemma in a book 
Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we've said before, but go with mm-hmm. two options and keep it simple, at least to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, if the main character is going to think of a third way out, have them work it out much later on so it doesn't you know, confuse the issue or interfere with the dilemma. So um, a good example there is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season five, the final episode, The Gift. Now, it's all been leading up to the fact that Buffy's sister is actually the key to an alternate universe where the gl- the god glory would like to return to. Mm-hmm. However, in using Buffy's sister Dawn's blood to open the gateway, it's going to tear down the, the, the walls of reality. Every living thing on the planet will suffer unimaginable torment and death. Yeah. So once the ritual has started, the only way to stop it is to kill her sister. Yeah. So Buffy's options are rescue Dawn before it starts, Mm-hmm. Or kill her sister once it does start, which you know that, that those are two not great options because it's very difficult to rescue her. She's going up against a literal god. Yeah, Buffy works out a third way, literally at you know a, a half past eleven on the clock before you know midnight comes around and screws everyone over. Yeah, and the third way is okay. Your blood has to not flow anymore your blood opened it so your blood can close it we have the same blood we're sisters the monks Mm -hmm. made you out of me ergo my blood will close it as well yeah so she chooses to sacrifice herself rather than kill her sister yeah and that that's how you then that that's a good example i mean i'm not talking about whether that's the best moral dilemma but it's definitely a good way of introducing a third option so as not to confuse the original two options yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, we we love a third option. <laughs> we love a third option, but it must turn up at the correct time. Yes, it, it, it really does need to do that, because otherwise you've tried to build up tension and then you've removed all of that tension straight away. Yes. Now, each choice does need to be flawed in some way. So each choice should come with a pretty hefty price tag. Uh so, for example, um, Battlestar Galactica, obviously the, the most recent, the more recent incarnation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, the setup is that you have got about five and a half thousand humans left alive in the entire universe. Yes. Because they are being exterminated by the Cylons. Um, so they're living on this fleet of ships which are having to make migratory jumps in order to avoid the Cylons catching up with them and completely wiping them out. Yes. The problem is, that's a very, very low number for a species to fall to before it hits extinction. It's, ex- extinction is like literally just down the road from about five and a half thousand. Yes. It, it's not It's not great at all. Um, now, it, it, you've got the, the president who was basically a politician who just literally secretary of education she was the only member of the government who survived so she became the president she was literally the only person suitable mm-hmm. and she is presented with this moral dilemma she on the one hand she's got five and a half thousand living human beings left in the universe yeah on the other hand she has got this woman who is requesting an abortion because she's pregnant and she doesn't want to be pregnant she doesn't want to give birth mm-hmm this is one where you know ignore roe versus wade or whatever because this is a genuine moral problem should she allow this or should she say you know should she continue to allow reproductive rights because we genuinely you know 
people should have rights to their own bodies. But on mm-hmm. the other hand, the species is facing extinction. Yeah. And we need to start having babies. And it's not a case of she'd have to raise the child. But then again, what you're doing is you're kind of using someone almost as a broodmare. And it's not a very big leap from there to, okay, well, all the women must be pulled off all other active duties and things and do nothing but give birth. And it all becomes a very, very squicky very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, in the end, what she chose was the fact that she chose to allow everybody to keep their own bodily rights, whether they're male, female, whatever, Mm -hmm. but offered incentives for people to be supported should they choose to go ahead and have children, even in these uncertain times. Yeah. That's what she chose to do, because she said, well, we need to also be worth saving. We need to be worth something in order to survive. Survival itself is not enough as a species. Yeah. And if we roll back the clock that much then maybe we deserve to be extinct. That's her position. But a lot of people would have chosen a different way. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And it, what's interesting is that, you know, it's it's similar to... Um, it's how things change during catastrophe. And so you do tend to see a lot of moral dilemmas being kind of presented in things like dystopian fiction. Um, uh, another really good example is... Um, the uh the walking dead season two i think it was herschel you had a character who kind of actually represented american liberty you know western um uh, liberal democracy essentially um but the problem was that a lot of the the kind of ideas that they had in order to uphold them there were kind of literal dangers which were then sort of starting to be associated with them how do we maintain you know certain laws and orders when the world is literally falling apart and at any moment you could be eaten um and so you know there's the we've got to stand up for the rights that people have fought so hard to achieve but in doing so are we actually endangering people's lives are we actually making everything significantly harder um and these are you know very honest uh, moral dilemmas um and actually kind of do sort of they ask questions with regards to what is the human condition um actually how much value do we place on these kind of uh our current rights um where do they stand in nature etc yeah definitely and it's uh, i think you know sort of post-apocalyptic and type catastrophe type um, fiction can definitely can definitely ask those questions and maybe has a little bit of an easier time asking them because of their setup yeah absolutely okay so the choices should feel roughly equal if they're unbalanced and one has a higher price tag then the choice becomes obvious Mm -hmm. and as we've said before even if that choice really hurts that's just a painful choice that's not a moral dilemma yeah Um, they should basically leave the reader feeling that they don't know which way to jump. So again, with the examples we've just given, you shouldn't feel comfortable sort of really no. examining those two choices because whichever way you choose, you are going to lose out on something. You're going mm-hmm. to sacrifice something. And it's a case of, in the end, maybe picking the evil you can actually live with. Yeah, absolutely. Um and ultimately, you know, as part of that, the choices need to be meaningful. 
Yes. You know? Um, each choice should represent something. So if your main character must choose between two friends, each friend must represent something more. So for example, one might be a healer who can help end the plague, um, which is uh, plaguing the populace and thus save many lives. But the other might be a strategic genius who could lead the army to victory and prevent the conquest um, of the same populace. So who do you pick? People are going to die either way. Um, and this is, you know, people that your main character is thus responsible for. Um, and what's interesting to me is that sometimes you can have really obvious moral dilemmas where it's, okay, well, I pick one now and a thousand people die. I pick one, uh, I pick one, the other one and a thousand people die, but a few days later. Um, and, you know, it feels very kind of, it's big, it's massive. And sometimes you can have the moral dilemma, which is actually one choice seems significantly smaller, but it's a domino. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, is that you can see that it's a domino and you can see um, why people might be concerned about where that, what that domino effect is going to have. Uh, with regards to, you know, autonomy or stuff like that. What's, what do we do, for example, if we say all people must have X, Y, Z because it will save certain number of lives? Okay, but if we start that domino effect, do we then say, okay, but that means that governments are allowed to rule what people can and can't do with their bodies, etc.? Um, you know, obviously there's large debates with regards to do we make vaccinations um do people have to have vaccinations um and you know i fall very much on the fall of you should be getting vaccinated it's very important um but at the same time if we kind of make it a legal requirement that everybody is vaccinated against whatever i'm gonna put covid to the side but whatever then do we then kind of put a wedge in the door that says that our government is allowed to decide what we do with our bodies, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're kind of on the utopia experiment, aren't you? Where yeah, where people are like, uh, if you are of a certain age, um, weight, etc., health, whatever, then you get to live, mm -hmm. and we'll get rid of what we consider the chaff, and it becomes very, very uncomfortable very quickly. It does, yeah. Um, and it's kind of supposed to be. It's supposed to, you're supposed to actually be able to, to look at these things because it's, these are some of the moral dilemmas that we actually do face in the day to day. And that's why I think sometimes the domino ones are the most impactful um, in, uh, in books and stuff like that, particularly if it's a domino effect, which is kind of you think, oh, well, we got off really well in that. And then like the second book rolls in and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> Ah, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, um, the final thing is the choices should feel natural within the flow of the story. Now, you could argue that anything that turns up in the story should feel natural within the flow of the story, but very mm -hmm. definitely with a moral dilemma. Yeah. Um, you c if you cannot justify why your hero has to make this, this hard choice mm -hmm. where he's he or she is going to lose something either way... Um, then you don't need a moral dilemma. Uh, it'll come off as 
pointless and you will lose readers because basically what you're putting you're, you're shoehorning something in that's going to be a massive plot hole mm -hmm. and nobody really likes that they might not identify why they don't like it but nobody really likes that yeah absolutely so how can you then create equal choices in uh in sort of creating these moral um dilemmas yeah um, i think this is something many authors have difficulty with and i understand that because they're there is a, a certain pressure now to produce something that has a certain amount of shock factor that mm. is a bit edgy, inverted commas. Um, and instead of saying, well, actually, it would be better to make a quieter statement and make it nuanced and have it there ticking away at the back of people's heads after they've read it. Mm. Um, because I suppose the, the immediate sort of pyrotechnics of um, a big decision or being forcing the, dis the hero to make do something awful and against their nature might seem more immediately satisfying but generally those books are, are quite forgettable I find. Yes and I think the other thing is that um, one of the big as we've said previously one of the kind of the big things about moral dilemmas is that they kind of leave readers questioning things. Yeah. They leave readers questioning, what would I do in this situation? And actually, these are important, um, not because we want people to be facing moral dilemmas, but because people do face moral dilemmas and because it forces people to analyse their own decisions, their own judgments, um, and the way that they navigate their own lives. Now, when you go to massive extremes with these in order to kind of make it very, very edgy, um, first of all, it often feels just too far removed to even kind of consciously kind of make people start considering things. Um, but beyond that, it, it also, you know, it can feel forced and contrived um, and you just kind of close the book at the end and you go okay well that happened um and you don't really take anything from it and that's that's fine books don't need to be a learning experience for everybody um but ultimately we are a species which engages you know will engage more with something that makes us think um and that can make us think in numerous different ways it can make us think in oh wouldn't that be wonderful um or, or wouldn't that be terrible but it can also make us think in terms of what would I do in that situation? What does this truly mean? Why does this make me feel in that certain way? Um, and that is actually what tends to make books memorable, is if people actually have to spend some time thinking about them afterwards or wanting to discuss them or consider alternatives. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so uh, the drawbacks when you create an equal choice, should balance mm. each other, mm. um, as, as we've said. So let's have an example. The This is one I just sort of plucked out of the air. I don't think this actually exists. <laughs> but um, let's say the laboratory your main character works at has had its computer system hacked in order to get, and in order to get the ransomware removed before there's a meltdown that will release dangerous diseases, she has to pay the hackers. But if she does pay the hackers, then they will have more resources and will be encouraged to try this again, perhaps with the Centre for Disease Control or a hospital or, or a less remote research facility. Yeah. 
Uh, but it can't be as clear cut as because however you do it, mm -hmm. someone's going to die. I mean, you can someone's going to die, or there's going to be huge consequences. There'll be huge consequences to having these diseases released. Either mm -hmm. way, there's a chance. Obviously, the hackers might go, "Ha ha! Thanks for the money. No, we're not doing anything with it." Yeah. And the other thing, it's kind of like negotiating with terrorists, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, it, it is difficult. And it, yeah, okay, you might win this battle, but it does mean that you're actually giving them more weapons in the overall war. So, yeah. so either way, it's not a good decision. That, that That's a roughly equal choice. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is as well that it's one of these situations where you could say, right, well, I'm going to do nothing and we're going to sacrifice the people who are in this direct vicinity. Um, but then you've also there is literally nothing to stop these this group going off and doing it again you know and again <laughs> and getting better each time exactly yeah so um okay the other thing is whichever way your main character chooses it should hurt and that choice should haunt them i mean it ne shouldn't necessarily give them major trauma but yeah. every so often it should pop into their heads and they should be questioning about whether they made the right decision because that is part of the cost. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, that a, a spaceship fleet is the last bastion of humanity, a bit like Battlestar Galactica, mm -hmm. um, after a cyborg attack. Um, low resources, because you've been on the run for four years now, and guess what? You're not stopping any planets, and mm -hmm. nothing's really working anymore. Um, they've resulted in a resistance movement amongst the discontented populace. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are always going to be people who rise up and say, without necessarily knowing all the facts, we can run this ship better than you can. Yeah. Um, they're not always wrong either, but sometimes they are. Yeah. Um, they've captured the fuel ships, so the things you need in order to jump away so you don't die. Yeah. The main If the main character gives in to their demands, you end up with a chaotic, inexperienced leadership group taking over, yeah. um, which will probably result in many deaths. It might result in complete extermination if they don't work things out before your, your incoming attackers arrive. Yes. Um, if the main character acts, then he will probably have to publicly execute those involved because you can't keep them in holding cells where they're going to generate sympathy. You need to make uh, a, an example of mm -hmm. these people and put down this sort of mutiny. Which means, yeah, you're you're accepting the fact that, yes, you're going to take these lives, which you don't want to do, but also that you're going to rule by fear for a little while, because mm -hmm. if that's the only way you can keep control, then you will do. And yeah. then it brings in all the questions of, am I doing this just because I can't cede control, or am I doing it because I genuinely believe I'm the best hope at the moment? Yes. And yeah. maybe you throw in something like, oh, yes, and one of the mutineers is a dear friend, or was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's just listening to you say that it's starting to give me anxiety um, the, <laughs> the choice should, should leave your reader feeling slightly uncomfortable um, I tend to find that whenever those kinds of moral dilemmas come up I just get very very frustrated like no you've got to all work together but the fact of the matter is, is that um, this is the way that reality is and people do kind of all just sort of crash into one another in these ways um, for various different reasons. And again, one of the things that really, really makes this this particular example, but also other forms of moral dilemma, um, really stand out is that there are parallels to how we in society 
actually work, at how we enjoy certain rights, um, and how those rights can be challenged as well. Yeah, definitely. So now that we've created a massive moral dilemma and left you all shaking and crying, um, we need to get on to the next step, which is solving the dilemma. And there are several ways that um, a writer can go about this. Um, the first is right there in the title, so we'll start with it, which is, of course, choosing the lesser of two evils. Yeah, so basically your main character weighs up the decisions, decides what's going to cost slightly less, less, mm -hmm. less, or um, what they can live with slightly more, and picks that one. Mm -hmm. Fully acknowledging that neither choice is really good, but they yes. pick the lesser of two evils. So they have to make a decision, so they make a decision and they carry the can for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what can be interesting is sometimes you can have them making that decision, and this is a decision which would have haunted them in the past, but which no longer actually they've kind of decided actually this is the right decision and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And them not feeling guilty about it is in some ways kind of also meant to make you feel uneasy, but also to give an indication of the change of character that they've perhaps gone through. Definitely. Uh, you know, perhaps they've become hardier, perhaps they've, um, you know, they've had to adapt. Again, this is something you see a lot of in The Walking Dead, where you start with with Rick Grimes, um, and obviously as time goes on, uh, he kind of has to adapt as a person and things have to change so that he can try and keep people alive. Um, and it goes from people trying to sort of live in a very kind of reasonable sort of way to having to really, really alter that, um, which I just find very interesting and incredibly uncomfortable. So the lesser of two evils um, is is a really, really interesting one and one that tends to leave a bitter sweet taste in people's... Well, not really sweet, just a bitter taste. <laughs> to be honest, there's no sweet. Uh, it's no just sweet. a bitter taste in, in people's mouths. I always think it's interesting in a series where you start earlier on, early in the series, you give your main character a moral dilemma and they choose and they kind of they agonise about it and it's always there through the next few books. And then later on in the series, you basically give them more or less the same moral dilemma. But they've been through the mill since then, as you've said, with The Walking Dead. Yeah. And now they're a different person. And yeah, they don't like having to make this decision, but it's not going to haunt them forever. No. So it can be a great way of, of doing it in that respect. So I yeah. completely agree. Yeah, it, and, and having parallel moral dis uh, moral dilemmas like that can actually also, as we've said, demonstrate a really... Uh, really, is a really good way of demonstrating character growth and and again when I say growth I don't necessarily mean they, they're growing in a good way but just character development and things like yeah. that someone who might have started off as a no I couldn't hurt a fly has now become a, a hardy killer in the apocalypse because they've yeah. you know they've had to become a hardy killer well I mean if it's a paralleled moral dilemma as well maybe the mm -hmm. first time round they let someone go yeah um, and it works out for them. But the second time round, they don't even give that person a chance. It's kind of like, oh, bang, okay, there's my decision made. They're dead. I can't risk them coming after me. Yeah, absolutely. Not and not necessarily because the first time it didn't work out. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They, they often do do that. It's like, a, well, I showed you mercy. 
and that came back to bite me and because i showed you mercy um well again okay so spider-man um this is a really good example of it he stands to the side to let a thief escape and as a consequence of that um his uncle dies yeah you know um and i think weirdly enough out of a lot of the marvel superheroes spider-man is one who is consistently facing moral dilemmas but they're often small moral dilemmas and you know they're often letting someone down in order to do something else and you know the consequences of that there's there's a there's a kind of an emotional hurt and and emotional you know we do have to consider that as well um when we're kind of weighing things up you know there's a profound emotional effect or there's a profound physical effect one way or another um and this is where we kind of get into utilitarianism as well what is <laughs> how do we measure moral decisions but that's a whole other discussion that we don't have time to get into so i'm just going to i'm just going to put stuart mill back in his back in his little box for the time being you have so many people in little boxes now. I have. I've just a collection of people in boxes. <laughs> sounds really. If anyone scary. just listens to this part of this episode, then that sounds really bad. For both it of does. Us, but... Yes. Okay. Um, Other ways of solving the dilemma. Um, yeah. The main character may sacrifice something else, so they have to choose between two options. Perhaps what they decide to do instead is say, "Or oh, the third option is me. You get me." Yes. So kind of like with Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, in the episode The Gift where it's a choice between getting there in time to save her sister or killing her sister mm-hmm. and she says no i'll die for you instead yes yeah um which uh, i think is a very popular one particularly with kind of hero stories yeah. as well um is the is the sacrifice yourself one now depending again on the grittiness of the story that you're writing sometimes um this is actually rewarded so sometimes it is right well that's the end the hero does have to actually die or sometimes particularly when you're getting into ya or children's fiction or things like that they make a sacrifice but in in the act of making that sacrifice that creates a new pathway so they don't actually have to die um or you know that they ultimately um create something good as it were yeah um and uh, <laughs> yeah it's i i i kind of I, I like that to be honest from a reader's perspective i like that because i like the hopefulness of that the whole there was a right decision <laughs> but realistically um you know that it it's not particularly uh realistic to be honest um and sometimes it can actually feel quite cheap instead yeah you have got to be careful um which brings us on to the third way which is main character invents a way out which is the one i think where people stumble the most because instead of coming up with a suitable third option this is where we come up with option three what Mm -hmm. they come up with is a deix machina yes which um nobody likes those really because (laughs) Sort of like, aha, I had, you know, that nerve cluster was taken out during the war. You can't mm. hurt me kind of thing. Or, aha, I had the magical orb of Explodium with me all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's not okay. But the main character invents a way out. And that works particularly well if 
it has seemed hopeless, if it seemed a choice that you you literally cannot make, because instead of choosing the lesser of two evils, what you are choosing is who's going to suffer. And yes. They're, they're not really people... <laughs> you don't want any of them to suffer. Um, so, so yeah, um, particularly when it's a case of, well, here's your whole family and here's, here's the continent kind of thing. Which, yeah. you know, is a, a false issue and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I'm just trying to think of a... I think that a, a good example of the main character invents a way out is something like The Expanse, where mm-hmm. Holden is almost always presented with a moral dilemma somewhere <laughs> during during that series. Mm-hmm. Um, we're lucky it's not Amos making the decision, because Amos's decision is, well, if you're one of mine, that's fine, I'll protect you until I die. Yeah. But if you're not one of mine, I'm happily, I'll, I'll shoot you as soon as look at you. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a case of it, it wouldn't be a moral dilemma for Amos. Amos is actually a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for Holden Holden is kind of he tries to do his best he genuinely does care he's ex-military mm-hmm. and he is he's on the, the Rosadonte this, this ship and he sympathises with the Belters the people who've grown up poor really 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 poor in the meteor belt as yeah. mining families but he can also see the point of the very rich people who live on Earth and the colonists who live on Mars as well. And mm. you can see why there's conflict between all of them. And a lot of it comes down to him finding a third way in order to get the right people sitting at the table long enough to avert coming catastrophe. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, I think, is with when it comes to kind of the MC invents a way out, is when the social, uh, social dilemma, when the moral dilemma um, isn't actually kind of presented by the universe but it has or has instead been presented by particular circumstances by a system which has been put in place and at that point what uh, when you have the main character who is kind of creating a third kind of a, a way out um it's basically addressing the fact that the system is broken yeah i think that's a fair comment um and so we 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 change the system or that the the system has is basically being placed against them in order to make them lose in some way in which case we we look through we look at loopholes now i don't and depending how you do this this can actually be very realistic because people have been using loopholes all the time and it can also be very satisfying because often this requires the main character to really think about things it requires them to sometimes be tricky um, sometimes be cunning um, and often to kind of really engage their sort of their problem solving brain and this is very very satisfying because rather than just oh well i happen to have the answer in my pocket um, it's much more to do with okay i actually have to engage with this problem um, and as part of ga- engaging with this problem is realizing that there's no such thing as just two sides to any situation yeah. um, there is always more depth to it so i think that's the difference between um when you just uh, kind of just have a, a third convenient pathway out um and instead when you have a pathway which is forged uh which basically says okay this everything that is happening so far is based on a pattern which has been established for a long time and perhaps 
the way to resolve this is that we need a new pattern. Yeah, definitely. Okay, there are definite things to avoid when creating a moral dilemma, however. So, yes. Um, four main ones. Um, the trolley problem. <laughs> no one likes the trolley problem. The trolley problem always makes me laugh because whenever I think of the trolley problem, I think of a video I saw which was a father basically put his two young children, he had a little girl and a little boy, and he made them face the trolley problem and say, how do we fix this? And the little girl, she starts off, she sort of looks at it and she starts off like she moves the train towards the one with the less people and then she pauses and she goes, hold on a second, and she just removes the people from the trolley and then she, she removes the people from the rail and she keeps going. They're young toddlers, right? Yeah. And so her, her resolution is just the, the way to get rid of the trolley problem is not to have the trolley problem. So she just moves the people. And I thought, good for you. And then the little boy... Yeah, definitely. He does the same, except what he does is he moves the people so that they're all on one track and then he runs over the wall. <laughs> I just laughed so hard. He wasn't solving the same problem, was he? No, he was talking to him. He was like, how can I hit him? Someone didn't explain to him that the point was to avoid. <laughs> um, anyway, that's, that's really interesting. I'm um, so sorry, I'm actually crying because it makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> anyway, please continue. So yeah, you, we yeah. do want to avoid um, the trolley problem. Um, even when you're adding nuance to it, I mean, a lot of people go, oh, well, we must have the main character choose between killing a lot of people and killing a few people. But mm -hmm. how can we, well, that's an obvious solution. That's a painful choice. That's not a moral dilemma. So what we'll do is we'll make the few people his loved ones and his family or we'll make the one person who will die someone that he's in love with. Mm -hmm. um, this is partly why I really didn't like Changes, by the way, by mm -hmm. um, Jim Butcher. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there were a variety of other reasons, but again, it was essentially the fucking trolley problem <laughs> and a way to create man pain. Um, but yeah, it it's a, it's kind of a false narrative because... If you, it's like saying, okay, you're in a house fire or you're yeah. in a the hospital fire and you've got the choice between picking up the five-year-old who's screaming in the corner or picking up a tray full of embryos that are held in, held in, you know, stasis. And it's like yeah. you can only carry one of them. Well, if you don't pick the five-year-old child, then basically you are committing infanticide. Yeah. And if anyone who argues differently just doesn't have an understanding of logic. So... Again, it's the same with the trolley problem. If you choose to... Either you're a psychopath and thinks, actually, I would like to run over as many people as possible. <laughs> or you're a male toddler. Or, um, you know, that it's not a difficult decision. It's just a painful decision. So having the trolley problem does not make it a moral dilemma in and of itself. And then even adding additional personal value to the few people who would die doesn't make it a moral dilemma it just makes it a more painful choice so mm. um yeah try not to use that one that one sucks yeah and again it's the thing is the the trolley problem is an interesting starter when you're kind of particularly when you're young and you're starting to consider what are the sort of the moral implications and obviously the uh, the but it, it's a very it's an oversimplified one um and it, it obviously they people changed around a little bit where it's not there are people tied to the tracks it's rather that there are 
let's say there are five people who are messing around on the tracks who shouldn't be there and they're in the way you can change directions but what happens then is you are hitting someone you are hitting the workers who are working on the tracks who are meant to be there who you who but the tracks have been closed off so that they can actually do it um and the moral quandary there is okay um who who gets to live more people who are messing around or people who are meant to be there people who are responsible or people who aren't responsible um and the problem with that is that we then start to kind of it, it's it's about casting moral judgments on character well that and the fact that it seems to be rooted in marxism which i've got an objection to yes um, <laughs> um so i mean i think it can be used well I think people can do it, but I think it's very tricky. Um, and I do think that often it lacks proper nuance and more and, and worse than that, um, very often the question that you are actually raising with this moral dilemma, is that actually one that you want to actually be raising? Is that one that you actually want to be kind of presenting to people? Um, and it might be that you do. It, it might be that that is what you are kind of saying. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, grey rock washing real issues. Uh, this is one which should immediately give you a her type feeling. So, okay, let's say um, you have this great warrior saint who is leading this army to victory, etc. And everyone's following her. Mm -hmm. But you find out that she's got a taste for young boys or something as in very young boys right do you keep quiet about it so that she carries on with this great moral victory or do you speak out and you'll see that's that's a terrible moral dilemma because you are burying a very real issue there mm -hmm. up against something just to make it again to make it edgy so yeah where I'm saying don't grey wash um, real issues, basically what I'm saying is don't um, don't don't make the choice dependent on somebody somebody's proclivities or something like that. Mm. Uh, just because, yeah, th those things deserve their own place and weight, and if you're not willing to engage with that, they shouldn't be there. So it, it, it's kind of like having a well, this is a, a great moral leader but you know he's a bit disrespectful about whether or not someone consents um before having sex with them it's like well so basically he's a great leader and he's wise on everything except things like rape and it's like why would you add that and yeah. there are genuine examples of people who exist like this who are held up as being great people um mahatma gandhi for example mm. mahatma gandhi was not a good guy people <laughs> look into no. it yeah um and he was also uh rather racist uh <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um in the same way you know mother Teresa as well yeah i mean so nobody is really okay maybe some people but i i think the number of real genuine saints out there who did not have something that made us go Ugh, um mm. You know, they're, they're probably in the minus figures, so try not to make somebody's success contingent on their... No, that... Do you see what I'm saying with this one? I do D see what you're saying. Don't and muddy the waters. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I do think very often it's contrived. Yeah, it is. 
Um, and uh, that is, you know, particularly like when it comes to certain certain issues, they do need like to be considered with respect. Yeah, I mean, with the best will in the world, and as much as I enjoyed Game of Thrones, the series, they did mm. this a lot. Mm-hmm. They really did this a lot. And it was every time someone seemed to be on a winning streak, it was a case of, oh, we need to add something in so they're not too good. Yeah. Um, which, as far as I can see, the books didn't do in quite the same way. So, again, it's the removal of nuance. Mm. So, yes. Don't do that, people. It's not a good call. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, only giving the main character one terrible option. Well, if there's only one option, it's not an option, is it, for a start? No. <laughs> it's, it's not a moral dilemma, it's just a terrible situation. <laughs> it's, it's like, if you kill these ten people in this brutal way, if you torture these ten people to death, all these other people will live. Well, that's one terrible option. Mm-hmm. And that's just to make your character do something really shit, so... Yeah, that's contrived. People are not going to like it because it's contrived. Um, you're not being clever with that one. Yeah. Now, what happens is that you sometimes you do kind of have a point where like a decision is thus... They do have to make a decision, which is, okay, well, you don't have to do it. Uh, so I'm not going to make you do it. But if you don't do it... Um, then X, Y, Z. For example, like there's situations as well where uh, a character is faced with you. Ha- you torture these people, um, but if you don't torture these people, I will just torture these people, and then they'll die anyway. And the point is that obviously the main character, the 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 hero, the the villain is trying to corrupt the hero, make them do something, which will deeply upset them um but that's not really a moral dilemma that's as it's just not a moral said. dilemma at all that's just no it's just a bad situation <laughs> that's something that yeah yeah is off doing a i don't know but some weird <laughs> fantasist shit going on there but it's not a moral dilemma okay other things uh final things so don't force the dilemma so basically if it doesn't fit don't have it yeah as we were saying, make it natural to the story. Um, but don't... I think we all know what something contrived looks like when we see it in fiction, whether that's, you know, in film or whether it's in, in writing. But mm-hmm. don't don't force it to be in there. I mean, if you've got your main character and they're ignoring all these other obvious solutions, then you don't need that dilemma. Yeah, um... Ugh, that that's the thing. It's and and this is the bit where it really annoys me. Where it's like there is a very obvious answer to this situation, um, and you've just kind of you're just ignoring it to create drama. And honestly, that's just annoying past a certain point. <laughs> um, because you're not actually engaging with the problem at all, um, and. Again, what is the point of having a social? Uh, so, I keep saying social dilemma. Uh, well, it <laughs> what might is be the, social as well. It might be social as well. But what is the point of actually having um, a moral dilemma? Why? Why do you want to do it? Yes, in order to create 
certain um you know to to create tension and atmosphere and all that jazz but what's the point within the kind of the story itself what are the larger themes that you're trying to explore um you need to consider those things and whether what you're actually writing is adding to that or whether actually you're contributing something a bit weird instead yeah definitely Okay, there's three examples I just want to go through briefly because I think they're really good examples of how you can have a moral dilemma mm-hmm. um, and how, what effect it has on the character or how you can subvert that idea of a moral dilemma. Right. So yeah. the first one is Firefly, which is war stories. Um, yes. Where basically the premise is that Wash is jealous because he feels that his wife Zoe might care more about her captain Mal than she does about him his husband and then what happens is Mal and Wash both get captured and tortured Mm -hmm. and they're locked up together and um, Zoe is put in the position of having to choose and of course the villain expects Zoe to agonise oh my captain oh my husband and he's barely finished speaking before she says I'll take Wash yeah it's like he's like hang on a minute don't you want a moment to consider it's like no I'll take Wash I'll take my husband yeah. It's not even a sorry captain, it's kind of like, no, 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 you keep him and torture him, I'm taking my husband. Yeah. So first of all, it it, it, underli- it underscores everything that Wash was worried about and sort of makes those fears meaningless. But also there's an intelligence behind it as well, as in hmm. Mal has been in the war. Mal is more likely to be able to escape when an opportunity presents itself. Mal is probably able to stand up and to torture more than Wash is. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it's, be- it's a great subversion of the whole I'll make you choose between two people you care about most kind of thing. Yeah, I did I, I did love the way that they did that. Um, the thing that also really got me with that one was that um, <laughs> they you then had the bad guy, I can't remember what his name is, try to make this worse for, for Zoe by um, like saying, oh, well, hold on a second, I'll give you Mal's ear. Um, and she's just <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> like it does shake them, but um, you know, it, it, I kind of uh, I felt I liked that scene because you could see how clearly the bad guy was very frustrated by this because he wanted to create this tension. He wanted to ruin things for absolutely everybody. You know, he was trying yeah. trying to create a painful situation whereby even the survivor would have felt guilty in some ways, which the survivor did. Um, You know, Wash felt really terrible um, and was really worried about Mal and basically also saw that he felt that Mal was the only reason that he was, he'd survived what what was happening to them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, my other example, uh, Deep Space Nine in the Pale Moonlight, which I quote a lot, I know, I'm sorry, but this is another good example. Obviously, you've got um, Captain Sisko mm-hmm. on Deep Space Nine as the war between the Federation and the Dominion are going on. And yeah. the Dominion are definitely getting the best of things. Um, there, yes. there are casualty lists going up every day. Sisko is seeing the drastic reduction in his own people. People he knows are dying. Yeah. Uh, what they really need is support. But the Romulans have got no interest in getting involved, even though it probably is in the Romulans' best interest long term, because the mm-hmm. the Dominion and the Jemadar are not going to just go, oh, great, well, we've conquered these planets, we'll stop there. They're going to go 
go like locusts across the entire quadrant. Yeah. Um, so Cisco sets up a deception which involves Garrick. <laughs> Obviously, it would involve Garrick. Um, and two people dying. Mm -hmm. um, or three people, I can't remember how many it is. Three. Three, three sort of basically as collateral damage and a, a lie which brings the Romulans into the war on the side of the Federation as allies. Yeah. And the whole episode is done basically as a video log which he then deletes. It's him looking at everything that happened tr objectively and then coming to mm -hmm. the conclusion that actually he can live with it. Yeah. And it's a kind of that entire episode is a series of moral dilemmas because he could have stopped at any point right up yes. to the end and he chose not to he chose to keep going and I think Garrick's point that Cisco came to him rather than anyone else because he knew that Garrick would do the things that nobody else would do the things that Cisco himself would not do and yeah. make the calls that Cisco knows intellectually need to be made but couldn't mm -hmm. make as a Starfleet officer yeah. um, is a really telling one yeah um and it, it's a really chilling episode as well, because the thing is that we watch the episode and ultimately we, we as viewers, know that the, sto that the decision, though horrifying in a lot of ways, kind of is going to save a lot of lives. Um, it is actually an incredibly important decision um, and one that we could all argue was, was the right one. But was it morally right? No, um, it wasn't. It, it and there, there's definitely kind of an implication, which is that at some point that could totally come back to bite someone. Um, but for the time being, it is going to save a lot of lives. Yeah, and Starfleet are aware of it and are very, very carefully putting their blind eye to the telescope on that one. Yeah. It's it's also good because I think it's very chilling where you just see Cisco and he kind of leans back and just goes, yeah, I can live with that. And, you know, it's a scary moment, actually, the way yeah. that they do that. They created a great sense of atmosphere with that, I think. He can, he says it three times and each time it's in a slightly different register and he kind of, you realise that by the third time he says, I can live with it, he has actually normalised it for himself. That's what this entire thing has been about. It hasn't been a confession. It's about normalising yeah. the fact that this is always going to be with him and being okay with that. Yeah. Um, and I think in some ways that it, <laughs> he was more bothered by the fact that he was okay with it yeah. than by, um, by everything else um, because of the horror of what, he, of what they were all going through. I think yeah definitely. Um, so yeah I, I think it was a very powerful moment and you're right there's this repetition and by the end there's just this a great sense of surety within him which is chilling but also really engaging yeah yeah definitely okay um, by contrast Captain Picard would not have made the same decision in the same place um, no. if you go to the next generation I Borg um, the the Enterprise picks up a lone Borg drifting in space, which is still alive, but disconnected from the collective. Mm -hmm. And Picard, who definitely has a personal axe to grind with the Borg, but is aware of their destructive potential across the Federation and doesn't want to see that happen to anyone else, mm -hmm. um, 
says that you know we could actually take out the Borg if we sent this guy back to them containing basically a computer virus that would would take out their cybernetic parts yeah so that's what they start doing they start working on feeding that to this Borg and Geordie is is sort of at the forefront of doing this Mm-hmm. And then the Borg starts to show signs of independent thought, proving that people can come back from the Borg even after long assimilation and that it is an individual and that he, that he is no longer like a computer virus, a weapon. He is actually a person. So mm-hmm. what you'd be doing is kind of a typhoid Mary situation where you send someone in infected with something that's going to kill a lot of people. Yeah. Um, totally unaware. And in the end, Picard revises his strategy, even though he knows it's going to cost lives across the Federation as the Borg assimilate people mm. and doesn't do it. he That's his line. He will not cross that moral line. So it's a moral dilemma. And mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of a, a good example of a trolley problem being done well, because he has no personal attachment to this Borg. But no. it is representative of his own morality and how far he's willing to go. And he is not willing to sacrifice an individual who has a chance at, at a real life away from the Borg now mm-hmm. just for the chance that they might manage to take out the Borg and stop them from assimilating people somewhere in future yeah um, um, again it's it's this idea of if we make this choice what kind of per, what kind of people are we yeah are we worth saving yes exactly um and i think that what's interesting is that the way that picard as a character has always kind of been portrayed is you know he is that renaissance man um and weirdly enough the kind of the the quandaries the questions and things like that um kind of feel very much like the philosophers (laughs) you know yeah he's a very philosophical person um, and it, it's very, it's different to Cisco, who is uh, increasingly becomes a very kind of um, spiritual person, but in a lot of ways is almost a little bit more practical, I think. Yeah. Because, perhaps because, yes, obviously Picard has a serious axe to grind, um, but um, Cisco really really saw the reality of that and is seeing the fact that that he's constantly faced with moral dilemmas every single day that he's on um you know deep space nine constant moral dilemmas because he's between these two groups um and he kind of sees the way that actually when you try and make the right choice ultimately what is the price of that what is the price of um, lofty ideology, ultimately? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to me, the fact that all the way through the, all the st- series of Star Trek, but particularly Next Generation, mm. Voyager and Deep Space Nine, all the captains at some point basically face their own Kobayashi Maru. And the Kobayashi Maru yeah. problem, the simulation, the one that Kirk cheated on to win, <laughs> yeah. is a no-win situation. The whole point of it is you cannot physically win. This is about how you deal with fear in the moment. Mm. Um, But you will at some point, as a Starfleet captain, come up against that sort of situation where you cannot win, uh, where the cost is going to be high no matter which way you choose. 
and it's interesting to me that you can have a, a variety of captains and they will choose different ways and you different captains will be better for different situations so mm-hmm. Cisco probably despite this the whole spirituality angle is actually a better war leader than than Picard yeah I I would agree um and actually in some ways perhaps because of the spiritual angle yeah um because I think <laughs> I'm not sure but that there is a great sense of practicality about him, um, which is also kind of frightening as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, let's look at a couple of moral dilemmas in our own work and then mm-hmm. wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what do you think some of the moral dilemmas that you've kind of done are? Um, well, my, my biggest moral dilemma so far is yet to come in Harker and Blackthorn, so I can't talk about that one. But I will talk mm. about the split second one that happens in I Am The Silence. Um, this is when M has crossed into the Vale with the ghosts of the old gods, with the, mm-hmm. old, the old Celts. Yeah. And the, the Woken Barrow Whites, basically. Yeah. And she also has... Um, <laughs> She, she also has the main villain's spirit with her and she's mm-hmm. managed to silence him. But even yeah. in that moment, he tries to throw her to the Barry Whites and she, she could just step aside. She could step aside and not do anything with him. Mm-hmm. But she realises that if she, she can choose to do nothing and stay as she is or she can choose to give him over which is ultimately what she chooses. She chooses to let him die and not rescue him. Um, yeah. And not only that, she gives him a good shove just to be sure. Yep. So he's really going to go. <laughs> she's, she's responsible for his death. And in that moment, I think, I can't remember the exact words I used, but she says, I would always know that I could have chosen differently. There was a moment where I could have chosen to save him. There was a moment I could have chosen not to, not, not to push him kind of thing. Yeah, um, I would never be able to tell myself I wasn't responsible for his death. It was still the right choice, and she is upset that she can live with the fact that she chose to do it. Mm-hmm. And it, that the the very fact that she can live with that because he would do untold harm if she she rescued him or let him go. Yeah, because he's beyond her power and probably many other people's power to sort of rehabilitate. Mm-hmm. She, it kind of really fucks her up for a bit because she's. She's kind of like, well, if I'm that sort of person, if I can choose to to let someone die to be responsible for their death and be okay with it, then maybe mm-hmm. I'm not the good person I always thought I was. Yeah. And it filters into the rest of her life and really messes things up with her relationships and all sorts. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting to me as well because that particular storyline plays on an idea that which is that you know who you the, the question of who made you judge jury and executioner yeah and the answer of, is usually well i have the power to be and therefore i am in the same way that you know they have the whole kind of the superhero thing which is why do you have to why do you have to be the one who goes out and saves people well because i have the power to do so and when you have the power to do so do you not have the obligation to do so do you not have the you know um uh, is it not your responsibility to do so? And that's always been very interesting to me because how do we place responsibility? How do we decide um, 
do people have responsibility if they can do things? If you can do th something, should you do something? Um, is inaction um, just as bad as negative action? You know, these are questions that we have constantly asked ourselves. Um, and so what's interesting is that obviously Emmeline is in a very unique position because she has a very unique power. Um, one that I'm fairly sure that most of our listeners don't share. Um, but <laughs> you never so. know. Um, <laughs> so she kind of, she is in a position which most other people wouldn't be in. It's the, extre it's the extreme situation. Yeah. Um, and what would other people do in that situation with that kind of level of responsibility? She makes that decision. She has to make that decision because literally nobody else in the world can. There's literally nobody else that she's kind of currently aware of in that in that moment who can make this right. Um, and if she doesn't make this decision, she, only she has a kind of an idea of just how bad things are going to get. So the basic structures and moralities and the laws that we have put in place, do they count? Because we are no longer dealing with something which follows those structures. Yeah. Um, and what's, again, what's interesting about this is that we therefore kind of actually have to question what what is it to be human what is it to um what is morality is it is it an innate thing is it a structured thing um and i think the fact of the matter is is that most of us as readers kind of see what she did and and you know we don't see her as a bad person yeah Yes, some, she did something which would technically be considered morally wrong, and yet it was still probably the best choice out of out of all of them. And the fact that she agonises about it afterwards and it messes things up for her would suggest she is actually a good person. Yeah, um, I think it's Lucas says in the third book, because Lucas works out what really happened before anybody else does. Yeah, and and he has no problem with it. He was kind of like, no, he just got what he was, got what was coming to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like you play in the fire, you're going to get burnt. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I think you're right in that. And, and again, the fact that she really has to kind of, she really worries about this and she worries about what it says about her is very interesting. And again, it's that question. Um, what is humanity? What is morality? Where where are the guidelines? Why is it that, you know, there are certain people who will say, we can't ever have, you know, I've seen people who, who will say we can't have capital punishment. Um, and then in the same breath, talk about how certain offenders should be killed. Um, without considering, okay, what are the nuances of this? Yeah. Uh, which is, if you bring back capital punishment, then that means that, logically, uh, inevitably, innocent people are also going to be killed in that. And it means that we have to kill people. But it could also mean that bad people in the world, uh, murderers, serial killers, perhaps 
the number of those would go down because the 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 sentence is so much worse um or it might mean that we prevent um you know these kind of murders happening that we take murderers out of the world it's the batman situation which is you know um if batman killed the joker how many people would he have saved yeah definitely i mean you statistically know. uh countries which still have the death penalty have higher rates of uh, rape and murder that sort of thing yeah um, serial killers uh, yeah um, to be honest, I, I have very particular views of the death penalty, which is that it's not a good idea. I've, I've never thought that it's a good idea. Um, and statistically, we know that it's not a good idea. But it's it's one of those, just an example of one of those kind of discussion things that people have. But, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the whole Batman Joker thing, well, the Joker's yeah. like, well, I'm going to kill again. She says it, I'm going to do it again. Um, so everyone I kill after this, if you don't kill me, is on mm-hmm. your head. Um and that, I think that's one of those, well, you know, just fuck that guy kind of choices, isn't it? Because yeah. that is a that's a last ditch effort to corrupt somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then you know, it's like, and and Jason Todd is you know cost, constantly kind of questioning Batman, which is that if we if we kill him, <laughs> you know, he's not like it's not like he's the Riddler. It's not like he's you know one of these other. This is the Joker, okay. He's a very particular kind of bad guy. Yeah. Um, is it actually wrong to kill him? Um, and actually, would everyone be safer? Would life be better if we did? Or even um, could you just stop saving his life? Yeah, just actually Which is reasonable, let him I think. Die. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, what about you? Um, I'm drawing a bit of a blank um, at the moment. I know that I've done it. <laughs> I can't think of a specific actual moral dilemma. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's kind of one which is... uh, Spoilers, so I can't really kind of talk about it. Um, It might be that I'm a tiny bit of a wimp and avoid them. Or maybe you just haven't (laughs) need... I mean, like we've said, it's not the only way to create conflict. No. You didn't need one. I might not have needed one yeah um just yet there are definitely situations where I'm going to be drawing on them later on but I can't really talk about that without some major spoilers um yeah big big moral dilemma in Harker and Blacksall coming up guys yes (laughs) oh no this is one you haven't seen yet oh this is not one (laughs) okay that's the minor I'm terrified I'm so scared (laughs) just just from the little bits that I know about various bits and bobs I my terror (laughs) is real um and my excitement is also very very real uh um so yeah, I think that we have come to the natural conclusion of our episode. Uh, we would love to hear what you guys think. What are your thoughts on moral dilemmas? Have there have you ever been faced with a moral dilemma in a book which you've absolutely hated or you thought was unreasonable, or ones that you've absolutely hated but that you felt actually worked well within the story? Do let us know. We love hearing from you. Uh, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week, however. Um, and Jules, I believe that you've got one for us. Yes, uh, this is something I was quite late to the party on, and I haven't read the books. The books, uh, is, I think it's a three-book series by Blake Crouch. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the series is called Wayward Pines and I think it's been out for absolutely ages judging by the age of some of the actors who I've seen in other things <laughs> who are now significantly older but it's really good it's sort of a sci-fi mystery thriller um, the premise is set up is that a secret service guy in America goes looking for two missing agents from his bureau and then wakes up having had a car accident in the hospital of a town called Wayward Pines. And there's lots of weird, mysterious stuff that's going on. For example, no matter what he does, he can't seem to leave the town. Right. It's always As a good start. <laughs> he drives out of the town and it's like, you are now leaving Wayward Pines. And he goes a few miles up the road. It's like, welcome to Wayward Pines. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Uh, I don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> I don't hate it when that happens. Everybody is too happy. It's kind of like everyone's like a Stepford wife kind of thing in the town. Oh, that's There's scary. this pressured feeling, and that he discovers there are cameras everywhere watching everything. I'm not, and this is the tip of the iceberg. I'm not going to go into any more detail than that in case, like me, you didn't know anything about the story. Um, okay. But try it out. It's it's on. Uh, Disney at the moment, Disney Plus if you've got that. I think it may have been on Amazon Prime as well, so check. Okay, fantastic. Um, but yeah, really good, really funny, really funny, really fun. Not funny, it's definitely not funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Only you would find this like, oh, how jolly. Um. <laughs> um, I've watched the first season, can't speak for the second season, but the first season on its own is worth it. It kind of crams all three of the books in and it does work really well. Fantastic. Well, on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com Please note, no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.